The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. brother and sister to Pilgrim's Progress. I welcome you today. It's going to be a difficult message, but it's one we need to hear. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus is speaking about the end time events, and he says, Watch out that no one deceives you. 
For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Verse 12. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Chapter 24, talking about the end of time, and then chapter 25, where Jesus begins to outline a parable. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. That is, at the end of time. That's our time. That's today. It will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. While they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, they said, open the door for us. He replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I've been listening to various prophets and prophetesses in the Christian church in America. I'm hearing two very different messages. Some are much more direct than others. Others are hedging what they're saying. But I want to read for you a portion of what's called Midnight Cry with Deborah. I don't read this in any way to be critical disrespectful, I want you to hear what is being said. Hallelujah, she writes. Repair the altar of the Lord that has been broken down from disuse, says the Lord. Come near to me, all you who love the Lord your God with all your hearts. Fire from heaven is about to fall on your sacrifices to me. Your victory Healing and financial freedom is very near. The day is coming soon when America will bring forth nations to me and millions who have never heard will know me. America will once again be loved, honored, admired, saith the Lord. I'm hearing that message from many different sources. But I want to tell you that as I go to the Word, And as I pray, that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that America's condition is terminal. I'm hearing that America will not survive as it is. That we are not headed for some wonderful, bright future where everything returns back to pre-COVID conditions. America is literally collapsing. Our economy is on the verge of total collapse. Not just ours, but the whole Western world. I believe what the Lord is saying to me. And he's saying to me that 
that revival is coming. And the gospel of Jesus will be preached. And many will repent of their sin. But many will not. In the parable I shared with you, half of the church was lost. And half was saved. I'm being warned that we're entering into a time of great tribulation of great persecution that we're not going back to our wonderful, luxurious lifestyle. That we're going to finish the work of God as he prepares to come and take his people home in great difficulty with anguish and pain, and we are going to learn how to trust in the Lord our God. We're going to learn how to pray. We're going to learn how to walk by faith because we will not survive if we cannot. And many will not survive. Many will die. I want to share with you Jeremiah, the sixth chapter. I'll begin in verse 10, Jeremiah 6, verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them and they find no pleasure in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the street. On the young men gathered together, both husband and wife will be caught in it. And the old, those who are weighed down with years, their houses will be turned over to others, together with their fields and their wives, when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. The prophetess that I just read for you has 65,000 or something like that, subscribers, 56,000, I forget the exact number, but thousands are watching and listening to her words and to many other very popular prophets. Well, this broadcast receives very few, and most will not listen. I can't change the message so that we can be successful in the eyes of the world. I have only concern for what the Lord is saying to us, and I want to read now for you a question. Jeremiah 6, verse 13, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they're not ashamed at all. They don't even know how to blush. And so they will fall among the fallen. And they will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Verse 19, hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. I want to be very direct and not be misunderstood. As I have listened to many of these prophets, 
there is not one word that says repent. There is not one word that confronts with the actual sin. Rather, there is a standard belief that everyone is going to heaven. It's almost universalism. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I repent of my sin, and you're saved, and you're on your way to heaven. It's a lie. There is no such thing as eternal security for sinning Christians. There is eternal security, and that is for the people who are eternally faithful, who have repented of their sins and who have turned away from wickedness and are not walking like the world. I praise God that describes some of you. I love you with all my heart. I receive letters saying, we are, we are seeking after Jesus. And I know many of you are, and I praise God for you. But my question is, is the wound of God's people in America a serious wound? Is the wound of God's people in Europe a serious wound? Is it life-threatening? And my answer to you is, yes, it is terminal. The only possible hope for God's people is not America. America will not survive. The only hope for God's people is earnest, heartbroken repentance for our casual worldliness and our lust for the things of the flesh and the things of the world. We want that house. We want that new car. We want that vacation. We want, we want, we want. All of that's coming to a screeching halt. Famine is coming to America. Destruction is coming to America. The only hope for the church of Jesus Christ is not that Jesus is going to come back and suddenly spread prosperity over the nation. Our only hope is that Jesus, in his great mercy, will bring us to a place of repentance, of turning away from our wicked ways. Already, the Holy Spirit has been withdrawn from almost every church in America. We are in desperate, dire, terminal condition. And we must be, if we're to survive, we must be revived. We must be reformed. We must turn aside from the wickedness of our culture. Now I bring to you today the message that Jesus sent for the church at Sardis. Sardis was a very wealthy city. In fact, it's the city where probably the first minting of gold and silver coins took place in antiquity. It was a city that had existed for many, many years. It was a city of wicked, pagan worship. And in this place, Jesus identifies himself, saying, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Or he holds in his hand the seven pastors, the messengers. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The church in America is dead. It has a reputation for being wonderfully alive. It has the most fabulous buildings the Christian church has ever seen. 
its pastors are more highly educated than any group of pastors in American history. Those pastors are paid better than at any time in history. They have all kinds of programs in these churches, feeding programs for the poor, for the homeless. They have concerts. They have Bible studies. They have preaching. They have all kinds of things. We have a reputation for being alive in America, but our church is dead. I could give you many evidences that would say the church is dead. The greatest evidence I can give you that the church is dead is that when careful polling is done by reputable pollers, they cannot find any significant difference between people who call themselves Christians and the unchurched. They spend their money the same way. They go on the same vacations. They have the same goals. They drive the same cars. They live in the same houses. In other words, when the world looks in the church, what does it see? It sees the world. It sees people who are just like them. So the church is a wonderful social center. It's a beehive of activity. But it is utterly unrighteous. And we have lies that have been taught by prophets and preachers that have told us that we don't have to leave our sin. We are basically, the Christian church is Gnostic in theology, meaning we're saved, but we're sinners. So I have no idea what they think they're saved from or what they're saved to because they can't answer those questions. So Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. Jesus is desperately concerned about what we do. It's not what we say. What we say has to be matched by what we do, by the way we spend our time, by the way we spend our money. But that's not true in America. So he would say to the church in America, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, the only way a church can possibly wake up is with intense persecution, financial loss, anguish and pain, so that finally we give up our illusions and we turn to Almighty God. Now, I'm going to offend some of you by saying this, but please, I need to be honest. Donald Trump is not a savior. Now, this prophet that I shared believes that he will come back and be reinstated in August as the President of the United States, and that he is going to lead us then into a time of great prosperity. And the fire of God is going to come in revival. And the church is just going to go forward as it is. God forbid. Now, I'm not saying anything about Donald Trump, whether he is reinstated, whether he wins an election. I'm not dealing with politics. I'm dealing with the morals of the church and the deadness that we now have in almost every church. Ichabod has been spoken over the seeker-sensitive churches of America. And then the Methodist church that is now breaking apart over the issue of perversion, the Episcopal and the Anglican church, Denying the true gospel of Jesus. Denying holiness. 
He says in verse 2, this is Revelation 3, verse 2, wake up. That's what I'm trying to do today. I'm calling you to wake up. Some of you are living with somebody you're not married to. You're fornicating. You're sexually impure. Some of you are caught in pornography. Some of you are caught in drugs and alcohol. Some of you are caught in just a laid-back lifestyle, enjoying the good things of life. And you're thinking that you're always going to have your money. You're always going to have your retirement. And your 401s are going to be safe. No, they're not. You're going to lose everything. Many of you are going to lose your house. Many of you are going to lose your lives. America is not going to survive as it is. We are entering into a time of great sorrow, trials, tribulation. I spoke just before coming on the air with a a dear friend. This friend was very upset because they know what the will of God is for their life, but they're being told by friends and family, you can't go that way. You have to do this and this and this. And so this friend is pulled between, do I do what Jesus is saying to me that looks insane Or do I do what my family and friends are saying that looks secure? Well, what looks secure now, tomorrow, will not look secure. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And so Jesus says to the church at Sardis, Wake up! Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. There is much that remains in the American church. We have our infrastructure. We have at least a sentimental remembrance of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have some conscience left in the church, although that is dying by the day. Prosperity seems to rule that which tickles the ear, that pleases us. As one one man said, when I asked him, do you like your new pastor? Oh, we love our new pastor. He only preaches for 12 minutes. What? You'll sit down and watch a football game for how many How many hours? You want to go home and watch your sports for hours? But a sermon should only be 12 or 13 minutes. So you can quickly get out of there and go eat and then get home to do your entertainment with the world, with the flesh, with the devil. Oh, we're in trouble, church. He says, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, I read one very popular well-known commentary on this church at Sardis. And this commentary said, please don't think that anything in this message to Sardis suggests that anybody can lose their salvation. We cannot lose our salvation. Once we're saved, we're on our way to heaven. We read the plain word of God and accept a lie. I mean, Matthew 26 says half of the church is going to be lost. They're going to be 
facing a closed door to the kingdom of God, and they're not going to be allowed to enter because Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Oh, but I went through all the rituals. I was a part of the church. I paid my tithe. I sang in the choir. You know me, Jesus. No, I don't know you. There's no oil, no light, no fire. The Holy Spirit left. Because you love the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you refuse to repent. You believe the lie that a time of great prosperity was coming upon America. And it is a lie. It is a lie. A time of great sorrow is coming upon America. We're just now beginning to touch the edge of it. We have been lied to by our government, by many doctors. We have been lied to and trapped, and we've rolled over and accepted everything they've said to us. It's going to become much worse. Now, when I look several places in Scripture, there are some things I want to share quickly with you. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. That's the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second chapter. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purpose, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. But what if he doesn't cleanse himself? What if he is a Christian, but he doesn't cleanse himself? Can I say it? Paul is saying that you are then a peapot. Ignoble purpose. They don't use you to serve the food of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's for those who have turned away from wickedness. Now he says, mark this, chapter 3, there will be terrible times in the last days. It does not say there will be prosperous, happy days in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. In other words, they will have high self-esteem. They will be filled with pride. They will be lovers of money. Money will be everything for them. They will be boastful and proud. They will be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Do you hear what's happening in the major cities across America? The blue cities like Baltimore? Cities like Chicago? who has a mayor that is utterly evil and wicked, Portland, Seattle, New York City. They're brutal. They're murdering. They're beating up. They're destroying. The Puerto Rican couple that was pulled from their car and shot he was killed. She's in intensive care. I don't know what the outcome has been. Because they mistook the Puerto Rican flag 
for a southern flag? And they killed him. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Well, wait a minute. He's writing about people in the church at the end of time. This is not a description of the pagans. This is a description of people who say they're Christians. Having a form of godliness, but no power. Have nothing to do with them. How do we have nothing to do with them when they're us? That's why I'm saying we will not survive as we are. America is not going to survive. The only hope is repentance. The only hope is turning away from the wickedness. They're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Never able to acknowledge the truth that they must repent and change their behavior. Let's, let's be clear. Repentance means that my behavior totally changes. My schedule changes, my goals, my objectives, everything about my life changes because I have repented of being like the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I choose to utterly give myself over to Jesus Christ. Now my sins are forgiven. But the word forgive is not an adequate definition for aphemy, the Greek word. If If you borrow from me $1,000 and you promise to pay it back and you don't pay it back and I say to you, I forgive you for that $1,000 debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. What has changed? I have changed because... I, as the loaner of that money, have changed my mind and said, you don't have to pay it back. I give it to you. But what changed in the heart of the man that borrowed the $1,000? Nothing. There's no regenerative power and forgiveness for the person who has sinned. No. It's not just having our sins written off. It's having our sins removed. Aphemy means to remove from. Not just to forgive, but to remove the sin. In other words, there is in forgiveness in the scripture, in aphemy, there is regenerative power who creates you into a new being in Jesus Christ. You're not the same old, same old person. You're a new person in Jesus If you want to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted, Paul says in that same chapter in 2 Timothy. So Jesus comes to the American church. And the problem is, As in Jeremiah's day, there are many different prophets, and they are all prophesying something different. Jeremiah is saying judgment is coming upon this nation, and if you don't repent, you will be taken captive. Your nation will be destroyed, and Jerusalem will be burned. And they laughed at him. Because other prophets were saying, Great prosperity is right there. It's coming to us. You're already enjoying prosperity. Don't worry. Be happy. Everything is going to work out fine. God is going to deliver us. But what happened? 
God sent Babylon against Israel, against Judah. And Judah was destroyed. And they were taken captive for 70 years into Babylon. And everything that Jeremiah had said came to pass. Today, most of those who call themselves prophets are not dealing with the wound of God's people as though it were serious. I want to say to you, the wounds of the church in America are terminal. They are deadly serious. And if there is not a great awakening, if there is not a great cry of repentance that goes up in this nation, if there is not a dramatic change in the behavior of the American church, we will be swept away as Judah was swept away. The only hope for America is not Donald Trump. The only hope for America is repentance and the mercy of Jesus Christ. The only hope for America is a great awakening and a great pouring out of the Spirit of God to cause us to utterly give up the world and the flesh and the devil. The church is going to be stripped of its entertainment. It's going to be stripped of its money. It's going to be stripped naked. And it will not survive if there is not a great pouring out of the Spirit of God and a great response by God's people of weeping and humbling our hearts before a righteous God. You've been taught you can walk in sin and still go to heaven. You've been fed baby food from most pulpits in America. Nobody has gone deep in the word. Oh, my brother, my sister. The Lord is saying, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but fact you're dead wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die i've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my god therefore remember what you have received and heard obey it and repent but if you do not wake up I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, Jesus turns from those sinning Christians. And he says in verse 4, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, There are a few people, and I pray that you are one of them, who have not given way and are hungering and thirsting after Jesus. And you are reading the word, you are praying, you are interceding, and you are dressed in white. Now, if we go to the book of Revelation... Let me just read this, please. 
Chapter 19 After this I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who were seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine, bright linen, clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Oh, my brother, my sister. Are you dressed in white linen? Or do you have dirty clothes on? Are you the five wise or are you part of the five foolish? Who walk in your sin and claim you're saved. The angel said to me, right. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At that I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Are you washed and clean today? Do you recognize what we're headed into? Or are you living in some fantasy prophecy world? believing that everything is going to work out all right and we're going to have a wonderful time and prosperity is going to reign and and we're going to be financially well off. We're going to be rich. And we're going to have the Spirit of God. Don't be deceived, my brother. We're not going into a time of prosperity. We're going into a time of great tribulation and sorrow. We're going into a time when we need to trust in the name of our God. When we need to put on the white garments of righteousness given to us to wear by Jesus himself. Righteousness is a free gift from Jesus. Freedom from sin is by the power of the blood of Jesus. It is not make-believe. It's real. My brother, my sister, how do you stand today before Jesus? Are you awake? Are you clean? What decisions do you need to make today to change the course of your life? 
that you could be dressed in the white garments of heaven and not walk with the deception of your soul. Let's pray. Almighty God, please anoint these words spoken. Send them to every honest-hearted soul who needs to hear them. And Lord, send revival and refreshing from heaven for America now and carry us through this very difficult and painful time that we face. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm looking to see where I have the information on how much we owe yet on the radio bill. It's just over $1,500. Will you help? If you want this message to go out, if you believe what I'm saying, will you help us cover the cost of radio? We're just over $1,500 short still at this point. You can give by going online to National Prayer Chapel, and you can give online. Or you can write to me. I'd love to hear from you. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to nationalprayerchapel.com. I ask, please, if you're not subscribed to this channel and you're on the YouTube, would you please subscribe to our channel? And would you spread the word? I know this is a difficult message. I warned you that it would be. But it is the word of the living God. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to dress in the white garments of Christ and be set free and walk in joy and fellowship with other Christians who also desire Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.